0: Good day, ladies and gentlemen, Patrick Francie here, and welcome to this episode of The Everyday Millionaire, where it is going to be my job in each and every episode to uncover and discover the special ingredients and perhaps even some secret sauce that is mixed into a number of topics and recipes for financial and life success. My intention is to have some fun as I conspire and coax a diverse host of seemingly common but everyday millionaire guests for them to share their mix and talk about the many ways that these unassuming everyday people have achieved some very uncommon results. And not just financially, by the way, but in other areas of their lives as well. So your job, my dear listeners, will be to pull it all in and mix the many ingredients together to bake and test them, and create your very own recipe for having amazing results in your life. Having said all of that, I want to begin by saying that this is a very special episode for me, as it took some time given our schedules, but I was finally able to coordinate the opportunity to sit down with one of my very close friends, Don Campbell, who over the past 15 years I've come to know very, very well. For me, in many ways, I believe he epitomizes the definition of an everyday millionaire. And I think that when you hear his very impressive bio, you'll understand why I'm excited to have him on the show. Some of you listening will know Don from some or all of his bio, but as you're about to hear, there's just far more to Don the Everyday Millionaire than his bio lets on. And this chat, Don opened up to a range of personal topics from his reflection of where he started in real estate, right through to the impact that his father had on his life and the power of his relationships, including the one he has with his wife, Connie. And also a little bit of uh, vulnerability that he shares as he dealt with anxiety as a young man and and how it occasionally still crops up for him today and what he does to manage the anxiety that still shows up a little bit today. I wanna start, however, with his biography. And that is that Don Campbell is a Canadian-based real estate investor. He's a researcher, an author, As well as an educator, he is the senior analyst for the Real Estate Investment Network, and he's the owner of Cutting Edge Research, Inc., which is now going into, I believe, about its 25th year of providing unbiased research and analysis on the Canadian real estate markets. Don made his first investment into residential real estate in British Columbia's Fraser Valley back in 1985. And as they say, hasn't looked back since. His portfolio is diverse right across Western Canada. It includes light industrial, residential, commercial, and agriculture properties. Part of this, what you hear in this interview is that when you hear agriculture, think innovation. And Don's going to talk a lot about that in this particular podcast. As a realist and an analyst, he's well-known for his gift of taking very complex you know, economic subjects and making them understandable for real estate investors and how they impact their decisions. Don is the author of several best-selling books, which include, but not all of, Real Estate Investing in Canada, which is an all-time best-selling book, and I think it is the best selling in Canadian history. He wrote 97 Tips for the Canadian Real Estate Investors. 51 Success Stories uh, for Canadian Real Estate Investors, 81 Financial and Tax Tips for Canadian Real Estate Investors, Secrets of the Canadian Real Estate Cycle, which is one of those books that right now I think everybody should be uh, reading. Real Estate, Joint Ventures, Buying U.S. Real Estate for Canadians, and that's just to name a few of his publications and the books that he's written. Now, the other thing that's kind of cool or is very cool about what Don does is that he donates 100% of his author royalties from all of his books directly to Habitat for Humanity. Together with members of the Real Estate Investment Network, he's raised over $1.2 million to build homes for those in need of a hand up through Habitat for Humanity. As a result of his direct focus on the economic and fundamentals of real estate, not the hype and the emotions, Don's become a go-to person for national and local television, for magazines, for newspapers, and radio. And that's particularly the case whenever the discussion of real estate arises, and even more so, if there's a little bit of controversy around it, which in the world of real estate is always. Beyond that, Don's keynotes and presentations have been attended by thousands across North America, Australia, Ireland, And he can speak in detail to any market in the country. And he's just not afraid to tell the truth about where the market is headed. As I said earlier, Don has an impressive bio to say the least. But he's got a lot to share with you today in this interview. And now, I guess without further delay, I give you my discussion with my good friend, Don Campbell. Well, welcome, Don, to... uh... The Everyday Millionaire. What an honor. This is going to be so much fun. I can hardly wait. You know, I'm excited. Uh, I think it's the most appropriate in the world that you are my first guest on this series of podcasts. I'm excited to have you here. You know, to get started, I I want to say that, you know, your biography is pretty extensive and, you know, you've accomplished a lot of things and and there's a lot of topics that I want to cover today. Mm -hmm. Long. Long. <laughs> so, okay, so. everyone listening, get your favorite sweater and your favorite drink. Well, we, yeah, we could be yeah. here for a while. Yeah. So in the context of all of the things that you've accomplished, all the things that you've done, you know, you've started out, you've evolved, you've changed. You and I have known each other for a number of years. So I've watched that evolution. And aside from being the senior analyst for the Real Estate Investment Network, I happen to know that there's much more that you do. And when people ask you the question these days, what do you do? What does Don Campbell do? what What's your answer to that question?
1: Well, it's interesting because I've kind of redefined what the answer to that question. I redefined it as uh, the rain life is what I live. I get to be the senior analyst for the Real Estate Investment Network, which is like a geek fest for me. It's, uh, it's, it's like a music festival for geekness. And I love that. And that's fantastic. I also uh, get to live the life of being on a farm, and I um, we have a couple of farms that we're learning and crashing into things with tractors and building greenhouses. and And what's interesting about that side is it's such a balance to being in front of the computer. So I've, I'm actually building within my life all these different balance points. Um, each one of them is a challenge to the brain. So there's number one, and each one of them is also uh, has a subtext of. How do I make a difference? Because on the farms, what I'm trying to do is provide an opportunity for people who are young and are not young, who want to innovate in the agriculture world, because I think that we need to feed the world better. So I've got those two things. And then I'm a complete music nut. So I've got uh, such an interesting balance. I'm so blessed to be able to do things that I love. Do I have to get to do things that I love every day, all the time? No. And so, don't think that I'm just in this beautiful bu- bubble. And, uh, but I'll, I'll tell you, I am consciously and mindfully making choices to live that life, not have society drive my life.
0: Yeah, that's a great answer and a great perspective. Now, on the agriculture side of it, I want to go there with you a little bit because you, you know, you have the, the agricultural property that you own and you use the word innovate. Mm. So, when you think about innovation in farming and in agriculture, You have a pretty big vision, I believe, for what you've got planned. Is there some insights that you can share into what innovation means for you? Absolutely.
1: I I think that, um, you know, all of the study, once again, geeking out on the other side, uh, that are seeing is that we're we're losing the battle against disease with food. We're losing the battle against water with food. Um, The ability for California to be the North American fruit and veg basket is uh, dropping dramatically. While at the same time, the population is growing around the world and you're having nationalism come in, you know, look at what's happening down south in in America and look what's happening in Europe. They're starting to fracture. Uh, So everything's becoming closer and more protected and right at the time that we need to on the food basis to be more open. So uh, we're going to start. At where we're, we've already started an innovation center. So we need to find ways that are creative without GMO, without all the the the. You no, know, it'll it'll include some science, obviously lots of science, but uh, without all of the chemicals that are being used. How do we grow more for more people in a sustainable way without being silly, just having a bunch of chickens running around a the field? Um, there there are solutions. You know everything from. From microgreens to the organic uh, cattle that we have, um, how how do we find a balance so that more people can eat in Africa? How can pe- more people eat on our First Nations reserves? There's a there's a, a definitely a food a lack of food in those areas, fresh food. How do we have that impact? And then on top of that, all of our studies around PTSD, uh, PTSD from our military. Uh, from our first responders, firemen, policemen, paramedics, ambulance drivers, et cetera, and the PTSD that people just generally get in their life when something goes incredibly wrong. We've been finding some science that people working in the earth or in the greenhouses on a consistent basis is actually starts to, I don't know if the term is heal PTSD, but it does uh, lower the level of the PTSD responses. And um, we're seeing that science. It's absolutely remarkable so I want to be the catalyst that's going to bring that
0: all over. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned PTSD on, in this conversation and what, you know, agriculture working in, in the earth and getting grounded can do for you. You know, PTSD, we always, you know, not always, but we often hear about it with, you know, our army guys and, you know, those are going overseas or police officers, firemen. And interestingly enough, I watched a show the other day that was talking about PTSD suffered by jurors. Who are put at the effect of, you know, crime scenes and child molestation cases and what they come away with. And it's it's actually epic proportions. Like it's it's huge, the number of people that suffer from that. So that's an interesting conversation. Now, as I hear you talk about what you've got going on, it's this is really current. You know, it's it's different than perhaps the Don Campbell that, you know, many of your followers over 20 plus years, 25 years have come to know you as uh, being the real estate guy. And it's interesting as we work backwards from where you are today, you start to realize that you truly do live the life that you, I don't know what the word is, you educate, teach, inspire people to try and achieve and attain uh, from stage or in your writing. You you know, you're the best-selling author of a number of books. And you've often used the phrase that real estate is there to fund your life and not be your life. And interestingly enough, in behind all of this what has allowed you and and your beautiful bride Connie to achieve and live the life that you're living really was much of it is a lot of business I realize that but there's a lot of it that's just funded by your real estate and and the the efforts that you put into it the commitment you made to seeing through some highs and lows the economic cycles that go on and actually living what you teach from stage and putting that in place, and here you sit today with some choices that you get to make. So when you go back on that journey, and I'm gonna—I know we kind of went current, and I want to get everything in between, but I want to go back a little bit. And you've been investing since 1985. You know, you share the story that you worked at Sears, and you know, you had the perm and the mustache and the short shorts. And Thank the you for bringing that up. Yeah. I appreciate that. Things. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> now you've achieved quite a lot at a a really you know relatively young age, and that's kind of cool. But when you went back, if you go back in that time and there's a couple of questions I have for you, would you have defined this as success? So would you have looked ahead and went, if I could achieve this, I would consider myself successful, number one. Uh, that question, I'd like you to kind of wrap around it and think about and answer inevitably of how you define that. Back in 1985, was there a, a, a moment, a tipping point for you where you went, I've got to get into this real estate game. Like what fired you up to begin this journey?
1: What fired me up um, in, in the little book of real estate, uh, the, uh, one of the books that I wrote, it tells the story about um, the Allery's and hanging out with uh, Darren Allery, who happens to now live in our community, which is kind of interesting. Um, and hanging out with him and his father in front of the Leafs Canadians game. And his dad was a, and still is a, a big chicken farmer and i thought that that's where you go you're living in Karul, you got to be a chicken farmer get it up right <laughs> and he he's he came in in between periods uh pre don cherry and um because then we would listen to him and uh, and he would he said quite clearly you know that you boys got to start paying attention to this business thing but more importantly to this real estate thing and that's where We moved, you know. It was I'm paraphrasing because it was 1980s. Sure. um, And I had a perm, so that means chemicals were leaking into my brain. (laughs) He just talked about how real estate works, and he he wasn't pushing it. It was just a conversation, a very conscious conversation, it seemed. And um, and that landed with me because with my parents, it wasn't a conversation. It was get a job, get a really good job. Sure. Get a watch. Yeah. Work five years. (laughs) Yeah. Do your thing, and that's exactly what I was doing. Working this year. So. Um, that was a spark. And I've always been, I've always, always, always been mindful. I've always been paying attention and, um, you know, I, I, but often not having any clue what to do with the things that I notice. And uh, that one I noticed. And that's the one that woke me up to hey, wait maybe this thing. You can actually make money at 16 and a quarter percent interest rates on a mortgage. You can actually make money when you when you do this, if you're patient. And that was one of the things that he said a lot is, is just patience, patience with real estate and let it take care of you. So that, that, that was a turning point. Um, that was a bit of an eye-opener. And had I really known what I knew now, I would have bought a lot more instead of just one at seven six two two Eider Street in Mission, which by the way, somebody came up to me the other day and said, hey, do you know my uncle owns that house now? <laughs> which is kind of fun. There was that, but then you, you asked the question, if I looked from there to what we're doing now as success. And that's really an interesting question because I've never, ever been asked that and I've never really thought about that. But I can give you context is I still remember sitting in, we lived in Edmonton and sitting with Connie and we, were, we worked through our goals as we always do and, and, um, and how are we going to get there and what's our outrageous goal and our target goal. And I still remember the conversation where we sat there and said, man, if we could make, hundred grand a year, like who, how can you spend that much money? How can you, you know, <laughs> it was 1992, well, that 1991. Was a lot of money, man. It I mean, a was... hundred grand is a lot of dough. So we set that outrageous goal. If we hit $100,000 a year uh, between us, right? There's two of us mm. for crying out loud. We got this thing aced. We got this whole life thing figured out. And um, so that's how we define success. But I also, I also then re- remembered all of my upbringing. My parents, I, I was so blessed with great parents. And and they always taught us about looking outward and looking at how you can help other people and how can you be a catalyst. You don't have to get recognition or paid or anything. Just quietly, just help. And um, that's now the measurement of success is how many people can we help with RAIN and with this Agriculture Innovation Center and our charitable foundation. And it's, it's more about how many people can we quietly help with that value, then success gets measured completely differently. Once, once you hit a certain level of income anyway, from your real estate and the pay down's happening remarkably um, right now. And, um, you know, you, you stop measuring the numbers, you start measuring impact.
0: So that's how I would define it. So when you, uh, would you agree or do you, what's your thoughts? Because I know that we have lots of conversations because of what we do with RAIN members and entrepreneurs in terms of our coaching and support and the conversations we have with them. I'm I'm often surprised by the impact that social media has on individuals mm-hmm. as they measure their success in a comparison to what is those moments in time that are captured on Facebook, you know, those hallmark moments, you know, it's like, you're seeing the couple walk down the beach as the sun sets. And really, that's that snapshot in time. And, yeah. you know, 30 seconds later, you know, she's huffing down the or he's huffing down the beach angry, you know. <laughs> so, so it's, Have you been on our, our <laughs> holidays before? That's weird. <laughs> Actually, we have. <laughs> but there's no huffing. Yeah. So the, the point is, is that, you know, as we look at success, you know, I like to, you know, Stephanie and I like to or, or tend to look at our success in terms of Are we living the life that we want to live, always Mm -hmm. knowing that we want to move forward? If we compared ourselves to others, uh, we would never be ahead of the game. We would always feel inadequate and or if we hadn't achieved any of those results. In the people that you work with, because you talk to so many individuals as I do, do you see it like, because I want really this, the point of the everyday millionaire is to share with people some insights and some perspective from people who have made it. You being a classic everyday millionaire who just quietly chugged away and did his thing. And you've got some public persona for sure. I want to talk about that in a moment. But at the end of the day, when you look at people and have those conversations with them, do 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 you have a tendency to find that? Is there some guidance that you would give to somebody along that just based on your own philosophy? Number
1: one is just breathe because of social media. You know, we are we do compare ourselves a lot. Oh, my goodness. Look at look at those people. They're always on holidays. Well, they're not posting all the other stuff that got them there. And, and behind, quote, successful people, however you define success, it doesn't matter. Uh, there's a lot of hard work or a lottery win. And you, generally the lottery win uh, just fades away. But the hard work behind it, I try to be as, as open and as vulnerable and real on social media as I possibly can because I don't have a TV show on HGTV. I don't have this thing that this brand that I want to keep. I want to make sure that people are seeing the good, the bad, the ugly, the perm, the mustache. Do you see the picture I posted? If you haven't been on my Facebook recently, go take a look at me on a sailboat with the mustache. It's awesome. Not, but when I'm having these conversations with, with rain members or people at a, at a cocktail party, which we should talk about that too. Mm -hmm. um, And uh, what, what, what do we say? We say, well, define what you think is what your values are before you get to the success point. Because, um, this is, and this is a really, really important piece, is you get to define your values. And within your values, how are you going to live your life? Like you and Stephanie do all the time, right? You're always making sure that you're living your life that you want and through your values. And Connie and I do the same thing. What are, what are our real true values? Not societal values. Oh, you know, you heal the world. Blah, blah, you know, the stuff mm-hmm. that gets thrown onto people and then they just grab onto it. But how do we want to live your life? And then what lines will you never cross? You have to define those lines because as you're going along this line, and if you only measure success through dollars or number of followers or how many people watch your TV show or your radio show or whatever it is, Guess what happens is you will do anything, just about anything, and in some people's case, anything to get those numbers up, whether it's a dollar figure or an income figure or whatever. And we, with Rain, you know, for 25 years now, this thing's been going along and having an impact, but we have literally have left tens of millions of dollars on the table. Why? Because our values were to do this, this way, the way that we're doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, prices haven't changed in 25 years. Uh, a lot more has been put on it so that more people have more tools, more, more logic, more. They're getting more stuff. I don't mean stuff, but more support because we can see what, where the rain life goes and where what it can really do for people. But people would come to us. I'm, I'm, not, not, I'm not exaggerating hey, here's a million and a half dollars if you'll allow us to do this with your network and it, completely off of our values. And the answer was always no. Even in the boardroom with a team, it would be, no, that doesn't fit fit for us. And that's okay because that's not how we really and truly measure it by this big dollar number. We measure it by positive long-term impact on people. That's me. That's how I measure it. And, um, and that's the same thing with the Innovation Center. It's the same thing with that I want people who are listening to say, wait a second, maybe, and I'm not saying the goal is wrong, but maybe $100,000 a month isn't exactly what you need. Maybe less than that with more life, less than that with more time for your family, less than that and more travel, whatever that is. And, And then just really start to define what your level of success is and then start incrementally going towards it and understand that it's patience because as soon as you lose patience with your goals, oh man, they're not coming fast enough. They're not doing the thing. My goodness, look at that guy up on stage. He's got like 7 million properties. He started the same time as me. This is no fair. That doesn't matter. You don't know the backstory. Your story has got to be, these are our goals as a person or a family. And these are the values in which we're willing to create them. And then work your way through it. And every once in a while, listen, we all do it. Myself included. Go, really? How did that person do this? It doesn't Mm -hmm. make any sense to me, Mm -hmm. but you have to just kind of get through it and, and move forward and stick to your plan, adjust your plan, whatever your number is. I got, I have one client who I coach and they just want to make $3,000 a month out of their properties in the next 20 years. By 20 years from now, because they're young, if I can just get $3,000, obviously inflation incremental they'll be fine because they have, they want to travel, they want to backpack, they want to do all these different things. And they don't want to sacrifice those values to get some stupid, ridiculously large number.
0: So let's take it in a little different direction. um, Because I want to know a little bit more about, you know, you talk about leaving Sears and you got into real estate. And as an entrepreneur and a business owner, we have those defining moments, you know, those forks in the road that show up and you can only really often see them in reflection. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look back on your life and you go, wow, there was a turning point for me. And, you know, I got to share with, uh, with our listeners today, Don, is that one of the turning points for me was as we were, you know, number one, I became a RAIN member back in 2001-ish. 2000, 2001. And oh, good time. Right, <laughs> before the, right before the
1: towers came <laughs> down. Good timing,
0: man. Good timing. And, uh, you know, and we met and we created a relationship over a period of time. And the fork in the road was actually, I think, you know, when we're kicking back on vacation in St. Lucia and, you know, the request said, you know, Patrick, would you like to come out and join us in British Columbia and and help me take over rain? And in that moment, there was a, a, def- a definitive fork in the road. You know, like mm-hmm. at the time, I don't know that I recognize that as a fork in the road. But when I reflect on it, I go, yeah, there was there was the defining moment. And I could have said no and gone on to do some other things that I had going on. Or in this case, we said, no, this is what we want to do. This is cool. And uh, that's what we chose. So that's just one of probably several that we all have as we get older. But for the you- only thing I remember about that meeting is that each volleyball game that was always <laughs> being played every time it was kind of distracting but that's all well, we picture the olympics only lots of more but yeah. we looked really good because we had our notepads with that's us exactly yeah, right we looked yeah. really important hey geek fest <laughs> yeah. um so for you when you look on that and you reflect did you have can you can you point out a defining moment that was really kind of took you in a direction that got you to where you are today
1: hmm. i think well there there are defining moments probably every six months mm-hmm. Uh, there are forks in the road every month, and um, it goes back to that conversation of you choo- choosing the fork based on your values, not based on wow, that's the autobahn to success for me. Mm-hmm. And um, there have been moments. Uh, obviously, that sitting on those beanbag chairs in front of the the uh, Habs Leafs game that was a moment where the penny dropped that maybe maybe just getting a job and getting a watch 25 years later isn't the exact tour. Um, there was, um, I do a lot of meditation and, um, there are moments that pop up in there that I, like when I, when I come back out, I go, wow, that is, that com- clearly defines the path that I need to take. I didn't even know there was a fork at that moment, but my subconscious did. Um, there was, um, that frankly, that meeting that we had at St. Lucia, it, w- it was also a fork for me, right? Sure. Because it was. I'm doing this. and I'm, I'm running with this as hard as I possibly can uh, with the team that I had, um, but it needed leadership and it needed some stability. And as a presenter and a media and a this and that, there's no way that I could have even achieved half of what we've achieved without you on the team. Um, and
0: so that conversation was really, really a turning point now that I look back on it. Um, it's interesting about that, right? I think we all learn at some point as entrepreneurs is that we can't do it all. And Mm -hmm. at some point you have to step back and go, how can I surround myself with people, individuals that can actually carry the load that I can't carry on my own, perhaps are even better at some aspect of running the business than I am. And, you know, you and I, because we've had many conversations as we've built businesses and worked on our own businesses It really is those moments in time where you look and say, there's got to be somebody that's way better than me at this, number Mm -hmm. one. Number two, I don't have time for it. I probably don't even particularly like it. I know that's where I am for me. I know it's such an important part of a business, but I'm not skilled at it and I don't have a really high interest in it. And those were some moments in time where I think you know, as the entrepreneurs on, on listening to this podcast... I think it's such an important lesson. There is a defining moment where you have to jump off the the edge, so to speak, and make the decision to surround yourself with some people that have some skills. You know, it isn't the best use of your time. I share often the story is because it's so, to me, it really defines that expression of in my stores, my retail stores in Edmonton, Professional Skate Service, Pro Skate, uh, I, I came across my supervisor. I wasn't working. I just owned the business at the time. I was really, truly a business owner. And I walked in and I saw one of my supervisors at, or managers sharpening skates. And I had to look at him and said, you know, I'm, I'm paying you what I'm paying you. And if I want to, you know, if you want to make 12 bucks an hour or 11 bucks an hour to sharpen skates, I'll pay you that. But your job is to do mm-hmm. things that are of value, given that you're a manager. Your job is to make sure the guy sharpening skates is sharpening skates, not to step in and do his job because you think you can do it better but on that better.
1: side though that that's an interesting conversation because we all default to comfort 100%. You know what? I really know how to use 1989 uh, software for PowerPoint. It's really easy. And uh, and then I will always default to crappy stuff. Then I'll have to up level myself. We all default. I totally get what he was doing of course it's like okay i need some grounding i'm just gonna go clean, do some skates but it's of course not what we should be doing mm-hmm. and uh that, and, there's cost, and there's a cost and there's a cost associated with it right yeah. you say
0: oh, how am i gonna hire somebody because the other thing that it does is it forces you to step out and actually go my time i can go make whatever i can go make a i can do, go do a deal a fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollar house deal or i can spend or i can hire a bookkeeper and yeah. you know pay her the 30 or $40 an hour or him the $40 an hour that they require. You know, I can go paint
1: my suite for 900
0: bucks. I'm not paying nobody 900 bucks.
1: And then during that period of time, you lose two deals. You lose two deals. Yeah,
0: And those are such important lessons that we, uh, you know, you and I have talked about many times along the way. Let's go back to some of the things that you do in the world of real estate. You know, was there a time where you kind of, the light bulb went on and you said, this economic research and analysis is you know this is something I can really sink my teeth into because I see the benefit in the world of real Mm. estate investing. I mean, let's face it, it's one of the things uh, um, among many, but it is one of the things that you are most known for probably, Mm. is your ability to disseminate a lot of information and data and then present it in a way and in a context that people can understand and then give it meaning in the world of real estate and real estate investing. Now, how did that evolve? Where did that start to show up for you?
1: Hmm. That's interesting because at the beginning there was the curtain and the curtain. Uh, what's behind the curtain segment at Rain, for instance, was delivered with overhead. So you had to have each article was on one of those sheets of overhead that you put on the overhead projector, put it up yeah, on the yeah. wall, and then talk about it. Sure. And many of you who have been members since for twenty five years uh, remember those presentations as being um, somewhat stilted and fact driven because that's. That's who I was in that space at that time. And, um, and but what was interesting, was once again, waking up to the fact that maybe this is not landing. It's not having the impact back to my values, right? It's not having the impact that I need. And if I was going to do this and have real impact and, and understand it, I had to not just geek out on the facts and figures and this, you know, verbal diarrhea it out so that everybody heard these numbers and it made me feel good. Um, I need to tie it back to what does it mean to you? And that's why often in my presentations, I'll ask who, raise your hand if you went to an economics course in um, either high school or post-secondary and a bunch of hands go up. and could Keep your hand up if you enjoyed it. The majority of hands go down. And um, that's when I knew that just the facts and the theory behind it doesn't make sense. How does this land for you as the person who's listening, whether it's on my podcast or whether it's on BNN or, or CBC or wherever it is? where does, how does it land? So, so it has always landed for me because my brain is wired to see patterns and I can see patterns and I can see, and I can see how things get connected and dots. It always has been, uh, I've been blessed that way. Um, And, uh, and so what I started to do is then expand it even further, the conversation even further from the front of the room and in situations like this, where blah, 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 economic development, blah, blah, blah. But, how that how you should read that how you can read that for your real estate is this and i think that that's when rain went from 247 members to 3565 members and um it is when it started to really 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 focus on what this means to you because frankly there's a lot of stuff out there uh, there's a lot of misinformation there's a lot of well, fake news is the latest thing that everyone's talking about And if you don't know how to interpret it, it's just facts and noise. It's like drinking out of a fire hose. And, um, so I've been blessed to do that. I I do it two hours every morning on holidays, as you know, and not on holidays. And because it, it's like a muscle, the extrapolation muscle, I call it all the time. It's like, okay, so if that happens over there, how is this going to happen? When Trump says this about, uh, green cards and, or limiting green cards, um, how is that going to affect Canada? Okay, so how is that? you know, all those different things. And um, that's, and it's now become so much of a habit that it's something I love to do. So if you can find something that you love to do that also fits your values, uh, if you're listening to this, then you're in the magic zone.
0: The concept that you had around analysis and the economics and looking into the future of, and getting ahead of real estate, I remember that you used to use a phrase, and I think you still do, uh, it's changed somewhat over the years, but you at the time decided, I'm going to change the conversation Mm. for real estate investors. And what was driving that? If you kind of reflect back on it, what was it that the gap that you saw or the button that was being pushed for you or the annoyance you were feeling around certain things that you said, no, this is not the way to look at real estate. This is not the way to make decisions on investing in real estate. Um, what, what was showing up for you back then that this kind of, you saw this as something that needed to be done or talked about? This is very interesting. I think that was about to 1999,
1: 2000, when we sat around the boardroom and, um, this was just be slightly before your time. And, and I said, listen, we are going to change the conversation. We have to change the conversation around real estate. And, and it was out of annoyance. Interesting that you brought that up. Because I was watching people get taken advantage of and you know, they were spending bajillions of dollars on get rich quick. They were getting getting told, that was the late
0: night TV time where oh, you get rich on yeah, and, and, uh, and, buy and, real estate. Sure. And seminar this, seminar that, yeah, seminar yeah. this,
1: where where it was only just a ladder to ride you through. And um and I said, you know what, even our clients were getting taken advantage of when they would go off to something to to expand their knowledge. And and it was out of annoyance um, and and I said, we have to change this conversation. And nobody was talking about economic fundamentals. Nobody was talking about um, your tenant is your customer. Nobody was talking about all those things that we talk about and have talked about since 1999. I see them showing up now on people's stages across the country. And, um, and people say, you must be really mad when XYZ is using your stuff. And I said, well, I am a little disappointed that they didn't phone and say, hey, we're gonna use your stuff. Absolutely. But the other side, we kind of did what we said we were gonna do. We've changed the conversation around real estate. So unfortunately, some don't use it for good. <laughs> they use it for bad. But, um, but frankly, I, uh, we, the goal was, let's change the conversation. We, we have to get people to be aware of what really works, aware that you know, you can make money quickly, but generally, you should be patient when you're when you're investing in real estate. It's not the stock market. Um, you have some economics and some fundamentals that drive no matter what. So buying cheap is not the the answer. Uh, screwing over your vendor that was all being taught back then. It's how do you pretty well steal a property from Take people of, yeah. and um, you know all those things? How do you make it so your tenants? want to leave a lot because then if they leave a lot and you're in a rental controlled province, then you get to bump your rents up, you know, all those different things. And then a bunch of American people coming over here uh, teaching stuff that would only work in the United States. It would never work in Canada. And all these Canadians would go in, and try this stuff out and then get themselves in big trouble. And so it wasn't an annoyance and there was a concern, but it goes back once again to the value is why are we doing this? We're doing this because it can make a difference. We can make a difference in a lot of people's lives. Um, how do we do that best is we stand away and differentiate ourselves as these people that will be here forever, we're going to be around forever, and uh, we, can, we can kind of help you peel the onion and calm you down and so you don't get puppy dog breaths. And that's kind of one of the things that, that really, really, it's interesting how this conversation's gone. Everything we go back to is a
0: value, right. a value decision, a value decision, a value decision. One of the most difficult things is to take a stand for, mm. and some people might see it as an idealism, and and perhaps that's, and that's fine. fine. And that's I'm fine. Good with that. You know, yeah. that's fine. If your idealism is that of looking after people or uh, supporting others and their success, you know, I I think that we're both certainly inspired and driven to do that. And we can uh, stand proud, certainly as an organization with Rain, to do that. Now, I want to go back to something is interesting about all of this, is that over this many years, you've had such an impact in the world of Canadian real estate, probably more so than you see, you know, as... well, oh, I block it out because yeah. it would be overwhelming, frankly. Right. Yeah. Because you're a catalyst, you've been a catalyst for the positive change in many, many people's lives. And I've been witness to it. And, and certainly you've been a catalyst to a lot of very, very positive change in my life and it's one of the reasons that I'm I'm happy to have this conversation excited about having this conversation and and for others on this particular cast to get to know you beyond that public persona you know you're mm-hmm. on bnn and you're on ctv and you're on radio and you're in print and that's how they see you now I'd like to kind of go back a little bit in terms of let me just touch on one thing you know when you're reading Because I'm similar to you. I'm not two hours a day reading headlines and kind of reading articles and putting pieces together. Don't get that. I don't want to get that. Don't do that. It's it's a horrible, horrible addiction. (laughs) But I'm finding that, number one, is that you know, mentally you have to stay on your game. So, in other words, you can get drawn into the bad news headlines because that's what those headlines are. Do- you know, bad news is sells newspapers. Let's let's or it sells advertising. Are you saying that I'm human? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> how do you avoid that, or do you kind of mm. check out every so often and push yourself back? Because how can you not get sucked into the vortex of the darkness that some of these headlines are?
1: That's an that's an excellent question, and um, it it does go back to having a meditation practice that really helps me calm stuff down and calm the mind down a little bit. It also is um, interesting because I can, I mindfully pay attention to my responses to things, anything like the snow outside, Mm -hmm. like the, whatever it is. If it sets me off, there's obviously a reason that it's setting me off and I need to analyze it. There are some headlines and some people in our world that are obviously not on the, planet to serve everybody. Let's say it that way. And when I read their stuff or I get caught up into their stuff, I can actually viscerally feeling myself getting angry because it's against my values. I finally figured that out. So what I like to do is I try to remove the personalities of these headlines and these policies and whatever, and look at it with saying, A, why am I responding this way? Hmm, interesting. I'm responding this way because it doesn't fit my value or or I just don't like that person or whatever the case may be. Okay. So that's good. Um, Why am I responding this way um, at this level? And frankly, it's, as soon as I do that, I I now take myself out of the emotion. And there's this, uh, there's this emotion of the dark, oh my God, the fear and the, this is going to happen. And all the automotive industry is going to move out of Ontario and go down to the United States. What are we going to do? (laughs) You know? And, um, and so I go back and I look at the reality of it and having done this for 25 years and been able to extrapolate and see the Kyoto Accord and, and how the world was going to end in Alberta in 2001, roughly right when you were becoming a member, how we were able to step back from that and look at the numbers and the stuff that's going on under, underneath it and seeing, well, okay, so it's actually going to be a buying opportunity because it's a short term, the blip and this is going to happen and this is going to happen. So what I do is I, I, I actually feel how I respond to things. And I, I do get angry with things. Uh, I do get angry with policy and headlines. and um, and But I do also understand that there's never, ever been a decision, a good decision that's been made when you're in an angry state. Generally, it doesn't turn out exactly the way you want it to be anywhere in your life. So making a decision or an analysis in anger... Um, it doesn't serve anybody. So how do I get myself out of it is I I mindfully get myself out of it. Like social media right now, it's so easy to get caught up in like you called it the vortex and you can just go down, down, down into this vortex and then into this black hole and it takes you halfway across the galaxy and you wake up, you go, what am I doing over here? What do you mean that UFOs are going to take the prime minister? What are you talking about? This is crazy. How did I get here? And um, also, if you keep saying the same thing over and over again, people stop listening and you just start unfollowing these people. Okay, you know what? I get it. You're not a fan of that. Don't be one issue wonder, like, uh, or I'm going to drop you. And so what I do is I make sure that, oh, this is another thing that, uh, that helps me in this, As I never build my social media or my media that I read and pay attention to on one point of view. I make sure that I go, far left, far right, center, um, whack jobs, and incredibly detailed analysts. I look at them all so that I can come to my own conclusion. I don't ever, ever, ever want to adopt somebody else's conclusion or opinion mm-hmm. because they may, I don't know, may have an ulterior motive or uh, something else that's going on in their life that's, a lot, that's forcing them. They've, they've had a bad landlord for three three decades or something. So now every landlord's an idiot. You know, you see those people out there. Pretty easy to catch somebody else's bias virus. And um, so I I, I read and look at everything along the spectrum. So that helps me to stay out of it. And then you just quickly learn who you can trust and who's full of fake news and narrow it down somewhat, even if you don't believe in their philosophy.
0: So, what I'm hearing in all of that is, you know, there's lots in that conversation. I.e. Those comments.
1: long-winded. Yes, well, I get that, it. That's yes. okay, though.
0: That's perfect. Because out of that comes, you know, some takeaways for me that, you know, you you, know, you and I have talked about many times. I know that you practice, you know, that whole mindfulness, hmm. being thoughtful, being aware of what's showing up for you around anger. I got to share with you uh, that I got, you know, I, I was a little bit, I've had a little button push today around social media and it was And it really annoyed me. And it actually kind of made me angry. And it was everything I could do to not push send on a (laughs) scathing email. And I chose not to. And uh, so, but it's once again, please please expand, sir. (laughs) It's it's that practice of being mindful and understanding that our ego will often drive us to in response to that. And at the end of the day, The comment was inconsequential and, you know, I'll deal with it when I choose to deal with it Mm -hmm. and why should I buy into it? So that mindfulness, that practice that you have of meditation, you know, both you and I would agree on that concept that the most successful people we know have that kind of a practice, something that they have an awareness around what they need to get grounded, to bring them back to center so that if they're going off one direction or another, whether it could even be ridiculously elated you know, or, you know, mm-hmm. ridiculously angry coming back to center at some time along that way. Being being still is difficult for a
1: lot of people. Being in silence is difficult for a lot of people. It used to be for me. And now I relish those moments where I get to just gear down. As a matter of fact, um, you know, three times a week now I go and I practice Pilates. Who would have thought that, you know, with me a year ago. and um, And I find it so... You have to be so focused on every muscle in your body. And now I'm starting to work out with you, and I have to focus on bigger <laughs> muscles. <laughs> but it's the same thing. It's a, um, it's, it's a, it's a practice of doing something. We had, we had a, a really terrible time. Not a very pleasant situation occurred uh, with somebody passing while we were living in Canada. We were living in Calgary, and I wasn't meditating then, but I was meditating then because we played golf. Connie and I—that was her first year—and we played golf every possible day we could, even if it was just for five holes. And we found that that because you can't do anything else. If you're thinking about anything else when you're playing golf, you end up playing golf like uh, Patrick for r r r. Because you you have to be fully there. Mm-hmm. And what it did is it was a meditative practice of allowing us to not think about, not consciously think about all that terrible stuff that was going on. And um, and it. it it was, a life, it was a lifesaver. And so from that, um, I learned that I have to have some sort of practice like that in my life because without that, you can reel out of control and then you could find yourself down exactly the wrong road, either mentally or physically, and going, wow, how did I ever get here? Um, mindfulness is so critical. It's mindfulness is so critical. Everything I do pretty well is mindful. For instance, we went to... Um, see a concert the other night at the Commodore Ballroom. There's no seats. So it's standing. Mindfully, we choose our spot. Okay, there's the audio, there's the video, where are we there's the tall guy, so if somebody has to leave and come back to the tall guy. It's bizarre, but it took like 44 seconds to make that decision, but it was, all the variables were taken in. Instead of just walking into the, hey, Well, look at this, pretty cool. And I think if you do that with your life everywhere and all the time, um, life gets pretty fascinating how you can actually control the life instead of having the life control you and um, I, I find it
0: really a fascinating study. Well that's taking responsibility for your life you know there's a, there's a couple of things that you know being truly responsible for for all aspects of your life not being a victim to any of it there's a you know you talked about golf, You know, I find that with my training when I work out is Mm -hmm. that when you're working out, you have to be very present. I'm going to go back to what I do with have done in the past with training horses is that for that time you're with your horse when you're training. And I'm not talking about riding. I'm actually talking about ground training, which I love to do, is that you have to be 100 percent present to that circumstance. You've got a 1,200 or 1,500 pound Mm -hmm. horse. You have to pay attention. And that wants to, like like golf, it's meditative. So when people, I find, get caught up in their day-to-day life, they're running from drama to drama or they're so engaged in their business, which we can all get caught up in, or their careers, they don't stop long enough to look after themselves. And- You know what they do, a lot of people, is they do stop,
1: but they go to a beach somewhere. This is their one week or their 10 days and they ply themselves with alcohol. Listen, I like a good martini any day, but uh, they ply themselves with alcohol trying to quiet all the crap in their head. And then they get back and nothing's changed and they, and they get back into the habit. And so the meditative tra- practice of every day, like you're talking about, is so much more important than, oh, I can hardly wait to get, get, on that, get on that airplane. I can hardly wait to get away and not be myself. Well, why not be yourself when you're home? And be yourself when you're on holidays, just and just be, be yourself. Just be yourself, right? Yeah. There's, there's not there's not three people in this <laughs> conversation, people. And and it's and I do find it quite interesting to see uh, where people hide, um, because sometimes you, the voice in your head, like the, when you start to meditate or you start to slow down and quiet down, it doesn't tell you the things that you really wanted to hear,
0: want to hear. But it's kind of important stuff, the things that the, that it tries to tell you. There's so many things, very powerful. One of the uh, exercises I give with some of my coaching. I'll call them coaching clients, but individuals that I've coached over the years is to actually sit silent for mm. one minute. And you can't read, you can't watch TV, you can't listen to music. You just have to be with yourself. And many start at one minute and are losing their mind at the end of that minute. It's, and it's remarkable. It's just an illustration of where we are. So once again, this is about achieving that everyday millionaire status. Mm. And what are the practices that we commonly see with people who have achieved that, it's not consistently that, but those are certainly some of the practices we see. Going going a different way home
1: on your commute changes it. Change your brain. It just changes your wiring. Wires. Like s- swap out three different ways. Sometimes it's going to take you ten more minutes. Oh no! Okay. Watching, so- watching the news at eleven o'clock right before you go to bed, and all you're seeing is people getting blown up and this violent thing happened and the fentanyl crisis and, uh, okay, good night. Uh, how can you, how can you not uh, have that, that? That One of the practices, if you don't mind me sharing, is every single night for 10 years, well, over 10 years now, it's as I'm going to sleep, it's what are the three things that were great today or were mm-hmm. good today? There's some days where you're looking like, okay, I'm still breathing. That's true, but what? That's the last thought that I want to have is what were the three things, and then in the morning I go it's the same thing. What What are the three things that I really want to achieve today? And some of it, some of it is not like a to do list. It's how do I want to feel by the end of the day, refreshed, tired, because you know sometimes I want to feel I want to feel tired. I want to know that I've worked. And the first month, it's it's pedantic. It's it almost feels stupid. It's like okay, the three best things. Well, that hamburger was really good at lunch I and, have my health. Uh, and, uh, and, and that kind of stuff. But when you start to focus on it, what happens is by about the 35th day, 40th day, you're driving around and things are happening to your day and going, oh, I wonder if that's going to be one of them. Right. And you start to look for the positive, the things that are happening. And, so when, and then once you start measuring those things, you start to try and create them because now it becomes a game with yourself. And um, because there's enough negative crap in your head and outside in the world that you can find, what are the 16 or 20 worst things that happened to me today? Well, you won't believe this idiot that cut me off. and You won't believe this, 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 this all that stuff. Super easy to say what you don't want. Much easier to say what you do want. And it f- starts with focusing on uh, that habit of the, the three things. And then, I, I, and I'm not kidding, if you get into it like I'm into it, I'm constantly looking for that thing that might make the list during the day. Wow, I can't believe it. I just had a fantastic interaction with the, the, the people at Hana Sushi. They brought me some new food and was, that was pretty awesome. Like that's that's just kind of out of it. And then you kind of go, oh man, I wonder if that'll make the list. And, and you start to find, and you start to, you're, you're mindfully, once again, chasing those things instead of focusing on the negative things. And um, it, it's still all rewiring because listen, I lived, okay, confession time, uh, the first 20 years of my life, uh, total anxiety, total freak out, kind of, yeah, the world was scary and I didn't like it. And I was very anxious about everything and I worried and it's not something that I, I talk about very often, and um, but I think it's really important to know that. Listen, I I have to have my patterns in order to control that, and in order to control that, it takes a rewiring of habits, and then the which rewires the synapses, and which rewires, and even today, though not today physically today, but even now, um, when I can feel those moments, those anxiety moments coming back when big decisions have to be made or something. And, and I have to go back to my patterns to stop them because, um, there's, there's always that your initial wiring that's been put into you from the beginning. And now I actually use that as a, Hmm, is that a real anxiety? Is that, is that my subconscious just giving me a warning flag or is that uh, actual and real? Uh, or just a, a BS emotion that is a part of your pattern. And I can mindfully then deal with the issue. So yeah, it was, it was terrible. I would, I would spend days at home. We all know that we all have different strengths and weaknesses. We're all human. And um, you got to find a way to deal
0: with this stuff or else it's just going to overwhelm you. A great insight. And, and thanks for sharing that. Because I know that anxiety is one of those things that is out there for people that is difficult to talk about. And hopefully that if, you know, somebody's listening to this and they are feeling that anxiety, that they realize that having a conversation and, you know, talking to somebody about that and actually looking at a practice that helps them either reduce that, those levels of anxiety or actually helps them see why, where that anxiety lives and how they can get rid of it. Or to use it. Or to use it, sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It becomes a catalyst. Okay, so not related to anxiety, but rewiring or rewiring your brain on a totally different topic, but just as fun. Uh, let's talk about the power of a relationship in that you and uh, your bride, Connie, and of course, I know Connie very, very well. I love her to death. You know, I know that she's had a huge impact in, in your life as, as great wives do and great relationships do. You know, both of you and I have said many times is who are we without our significant others? You know, mm-hmm. who am I without Stephanie? And what is the support that our wives give us? God help both of us. <laughs> <laughs> so it's true. Uh but in the in the world of relationship, you know, when we talk about success and and achieving results, your observations of uh, those around you and your observations and what you've learned over the years of being in relationship with Connie, because Connie's a big, bold personality as well. She's smart, like crazy. She has a view and I don't want to call it an opinion, but perhaps we'll call it opinion for lack of, of, of a different word right now. She has but a she, way of looking at the world. She has a definite way of looking at the mm-hmm. world and she has a way of expressing herself as, and, and, and it's it's really cool the way that she brings stuff forward. Now, I watch the interaction as we do as couples, and she's pretty powerful in your relationship with you and mm-hmm. how you guys interact and what you've achieved. And And she's been a catalyst for so many things in your guys' life, and it's really cool to see. What would you expand on that? Like, what, what would you share, you know, with people around relationship and the significance or the importance of a, a great relationship and, and getting through it? Well, well number one,
1: um, it,
0: it it's always
1: evolving. There's, there's just no question, but we, when we first got married and okay, I'll post one of those pictures up too, but (laughs) man, that was funny. I can't believe she said yes. Anyway, the, um, they, when we got married, it was pretty early in our, in our relationship and we were young. She was 20 and I was 23. And we said something that has resonated since the beginning is that we set up a job and the job was, my job was to provide her the best life that I possibly can and to help her be the happiest person that I can and the healthiest person I can. Her job was the exact same thing, only for me. And rather than, uh, which I, what I do see is the, this whole thing about you gotta be responsible for yourself and your relationship, and you gotta do the this, and hap- what's this happy life, happy wife thing, you know? And it's
0: 50-50. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and, and frankly, I took that on as a challenge, is to do whatever I could to help her to have the life that she wanted. Not the life that I wanted for her, but the life that she wanted and then vice versa. And we found our different passions and we found our our our, um, our different paths that keep kept crossing. It was so spectacular. And then when she's working and eventually started working in the business and we were working hand in hand, we had to have rules around that. It's like, listen, bedrooms, dining rooms, you know, kitchens, let's not talk about the business and work because we also have another life, which is our life together. And, um, and let's try to not let it leak over. It does. Of course it does. But if you don't have the line, it's going to become the thing. So we would book to go have meetings that are specific to the business instead of you won't believe what blah, blah, blah at the office did. And then it just wanders into the evening. Um, I think that um, because we are two separate people with two separate opinions, um, we love to not be passive aggressive. Okay. So the other way of saying that is when we like to have heated discussions, we like to have heated discussions and then have them and then go, all right, that's done. And, um, and then, and then wipe the whiteboard. And it's something that Patrick, you and I talked about a a while ago, and that was, but there's never the thing, no matter how heated and how crazy some of these conversations get, there's never the huh i wonder if she's going to leave or i wonder if i'm going to leave that's not even a question or an option or a, like it's not even in the realm and then you hear that some some guy saying that or some gal saying that and i'm going whoa that that that's not even in our world so being 100% committed is about 100, 100% committed and if and and we also figured out that the relationship is our responsibility and um and so we do design our life on purpose, and every once in a while we'll go off on a tangent that that doesn't fit that purpose, and then we'll either adjust the purpose or adjust the path to bring us back in. Because it's 29 years for crying out loud we've been married, so that means we've been together for 30 years. You grew up together, dude. Like it's like <laughs> the,
0: it's it's life is a I journey, and
1: and 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 guess what? There are days where I bet you 100% that she don't like me. And there are days when I would never admit it, but I maybe not like her, but I 100% love her and she 100% loves me. So having that approach is that you're not going to, they're, they're not going to be perfect. I'm never going to be perfect. And and working through the things and trying to be as mindful and as conscious as possible about bumps on the road, um, the uh, working together in a business, whew, That's, that's hard work. That's hard work. And you have to draw the lines and the, and the, and the boxes. And, uh, and then you have to just kind of mindfully live your life, but communications is critical. I think that there, there there isn't an option of it not working. So that's, that's easy. And, uh, so yeah. And frankly, taking holidays together where you're traveling and you're learning together and doing those types of things, that's a really big deal for us. Mm -hmm. And, um, And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of what we like to do. We can sit in silence for two hours and it's awesome. And we can sit in discussion for two hours and it's awesome. And uh, it's it's just interesting how you don't have to fill the space, even from the beginning, never had to fill the space. We've never had to be, we've had some unbelievably fantastic fights that ended in Okay, well, I guess we're not going to agree 100%. And that's okay. It's okay. You know,
0: is you and I are and you even far well far more than myself, but both of us are certainly in the position where we're having conversations and over the years it's literally with thousands of business exactly. owners, yes. investors, people in general. And I'm always I'm always drawn back to one, you know, conversations that I have with people that are really struggling with their significant other, whatever that might be, Mm -hmm. in terms of not being on the same path. And it is really, you know, we'll use real estate investing as an example, or going into business as an example, where one of the spouses will, in fact, say, I want to invest in real estate, or I want to get into this business. Mm -hmm. And the other's going, no, I'm not going there. I'm fearful. I don't agree with it. And you think to yourself, and I often say is the first step of any success in the world of investing in real estate or growing a business is that you cannot have an anchor tied to you. You cannot be polarized in your relationship, trying to move one thing forward while somebody's trying to hold you and pull yep. you back. And we often see that. And in the meantime, people are trying to create or build their business, and they're at a you know they're handicapped because they don't have that support and that. That both the spiritual, the intellectual, the emotional support that you get from a significant other that who's on the same side as you is really about somebody, you know, behind you, pushing you up the hill, if that's what it takes to do that. And I think we see that a lot. And, and, I, and it's one of the reasons that I wanted to point out, because yeah, I know that you and Connie are really, really powerful in your relationship and who you are as a couple, and as I look around, and, and you and I know many people the same that have those kinds of relationships, and without a doubt, the everyday millionaires that we see that are just quietly doing what they're doing have pretty amazing relationships with all the hiccups that have in yeah, the relationship. But, but, but. but ultimately, it's always there. And it doesn't mean that they're married. It doesn't mean that they're in a, a um, conjugal
1: relationship. Sure. But the people who are on their, on their on the path that have created this have relationships where they're okay to be vulnerable. And it could be just a buddy, you know, and where you, you've you grown to trust each other, where you can be vulnerable, where you can have that conversation around this, and it's not going to affect how that person sees you. There's relationship where you may be married and you got to work on that one, but there's also relationships. And um, and they're they're pretty well all the same. You, everyone needs a bunch of people that they trust, whether it's a bunch is two, or a bunch is 3,500 RAIN members that they can trust, whatever it is. We all need some sort of, because the voice in our head will eat our lunch if we don't have an ability to just kind of bounce stuff off of each other. I'm blessed to have both. I'm blessed to have a great group of friends and have a, a, and, a, and a wonderful spouse, and
0: both take work. They do. They take a, a, a certainly a mindful, thoughtful, concerted effort to yep. be part of. You know, one of the things that I have a measuring stick, and I know you do as well, Don. And and that is that when you stop for a moment and you look in at your life, I one hundred percent know, believe. So for me, it's knowing that the people in my life are a reflection of who I'm being hmm. and who I am. Interesting. Yeah? And and the reality of it is 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 that if you if I look around when I do a check in and I look around and whether it be my staff or the people that I'm working with on the team or my actual like friends and associates, strategic partners, people that I've come to know that are in my life in a meaningful way. I assess that and I look at it very closely and go, wow, I'm pretty proud to be who I am because I'm surrounded by some amazing people. So do you use it as a mirror or do you use it as a 100% as a mirror? Oh, interesting. So if I've got something that's conflicting, if I've got you know, drama that's showing up consistently in a certain way. I just look at it and go, where am I not being true to who I'm, who I am? Which
1: goes back to what you spoke about earlier, which is the, you have, everyone is a hundred percent responsible for a hundred percent of their life. 100%. And and, <laughs> and there'll be lots of arguments about yeah, that. It's yeah. like, how dare they? Yeah, I was yeah, a yeah. victim of this and this. Yeah. I get that. I a hundred percent get that. Totally. But now you're, now that you're a victim of that, you're a hundred percent responsible for the outcome of that. Right. So you use your friends circle and your family circle as a, a mirror. That's friends, real, that's family, interesting. team,
0: staff—all yeah. of it. I always do, and so I'm pretty proud of it. To be honest with you, you know, I look at the relationship that I have with people like you and Connie as an example, mm-hmm. and my partners and and the the people in the team that we have, and and the, I know that they couldn't be in my life if I wasn't who I'm being. And so I'm. Guess what? I'm, I'm, I'm on point. That's how I, one of the measurements that that's, I it's use. It's interesting, but uh, I have to understand, you have to understand that
1: if you fly your drone over my house one more time, <laughs> that's going to have to stop and to right. have to change
0: to keep the we circle edit, going. That, we may have to edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So let, let's go forward on a conversation, Don, you know, this is a kind of a question that I came across a while ago and it was really about The question was based on, you know, we often are in that question of what what would your, you know, your 50-year-old self now tell your 20-year-old self? And the question that uh, was presented to me that I heard and kind of enjoyed was what is your 50-year-old self telling your future self? So what is your current self, you know, who you are today? What would you tell and want to share with your future self about your future?
1: I think the term, as soon as you were asking that question, I went, oh, that's interesting. Because the first thing that came through mindfully in my head is we've got this. Mm. Don't worry. Mm. We've got this. And um, so just live your life at 70. And, uh, and I went, that's interesting how that came. That was the first thing that came in. That's an interesting way. I've never been asked that question. So I would look at it as, oh, wait a minute. There is a 70-year-old self of me in the future. I better make sure that what I'm doing now is going to make sure that I'm taking care of that 70 per 70-year-old 70 person uh, that's up ahead. Because often we're you're in three-year, five-year kind of windows, and you're you're working as who you are now. And I can hardly wait to get my Belize in five years and those types of things. So what that did is it put me in a in, in a position of going, hmm, that's interesting. That there is a 70-year-old plus self. And the hair will be a little bit grayer, but it'll still be long. And, um, and I'll still be listening to great music and great concerts. And I will, will be that person looking back at the Agriculture Innovation Center and and what all the impact it had and rain and all it, it had. And, um, and, and so, yeah, it goes back to, we've got this, just, just give me those 20 years.
0: We've got this. That's great. You had a, your relationship with your father was a uh, an important relationship for you. And Jack was, you know, I had the opportunity to get to know Jack and meet him and have many conversations with him. What would you say, you know, from the wisdom of your dad who has passed and both you both you and I lost our fathers not that long ago, really. We're mm-hmm. almost almost exactly a year today. Yeah. yeah. And so I, what was kind of some of the profound advice or, you know, what, what can you take away from, what your father's, there's a standout kind of advice, a, a way of being. I, I think it was more
1: of a way of being. He was unconventional in a conventional world. You remember when he, when he grew up, right. It's, it's It was the fifties and the sixties as about was, well, more of the fifties uh, the conventional world, get a job, get a watch. But he was also the unconventional. He's the guy who was a, he ran a couple hundred people as his staff, but he was an incredible introvert and liked being alone. So he moved the family out rural. So the other day I was thanking him, um, because our greenhouses were getting delivered and, um, the, the ag innovation center was starting to really take hold. And if he hadn't had that, listen, I can't, deal with people 24-7. I've got to find a way to get into the garden, get into the field and just just be away because he was a city boy. Um, and, um, and so blessed that he did that. But none of that, none of that stuff would have happened if he hadn't taken that chance and that moving of the family. And, and, and it wasn't the easiest thing in the world, frankly, for mom or for the kids. It was a big deal, but it's turned out to be remarkable. Um, so there, he was unconventional and conventional. Uh, uh, I think some of his um, patterned clothing that he wore, I think that's kind of rubbed off on me because I kind of sometimes catch myself going, wow, that's a little much there, Don. Um, I think there's that. A wonderful actor. Both my mom and dad were, are excellent actors. So mm-hmm. in a situation, they can play a role and, um, and be that person that they need to be in that situation but when, even when it's not really them. Um, uh, and once again, that's that, that's that, um, helping to other people to make me feel comfortable in a situation. Um, and so I've, I've learned that a lot. I, I learned a lot of acting and, um, yeah, there's, there's care. Like I learned a lot of care from mom and respect. Yeah. Ginger's great. Yeah. And respect for people. And, um gardening skills from dad for sure that was his passion what would you
0: say that your whole you know your your agriculture that world that you've stepped into around agriculture was really driven from that upbringing and and jack was certainly passionate and got so good at growing those vegetables and planting those crops passionate about it you know and proud of it
1: proud of it and and love to share it so you know a lot of us introverts don't yes i am one by the way um and uh, a lot of us love to share stuff. Like I get to share at rain, um, but in, da- in Dad's case, it was sharing the bounty of what he could create with his own hands and his own dirt, and uh, the pride that he would show uh, around that. And um, so that that's that's something that would have come from him for sure. You know, the the, the willingness or the wanting to share a passion of some sort um but yeah that the agriculture that was the agriculture spark Uh, you know if you ever get a chance to just go and hang out on a farm like a real farm for a month at a time you'll you'll get it you'll get the darkness you'll get the the quietness you'll get the hard work and how feeling at the end of the day you feel like wow i really accomplished something and i'm tired and my goodness what do you mean it's only 7:30? I got to wait 3 more hours to go to bed. <laughs> you know, those kind of sure. uh that, that kind of thing and um and and the empathy for um you learn when you're on a farm for animals. The empathy not the not just crappy terrible videos that you see on YouTube, but the the true empathy when you meet some of these down-to-earth people it's just remarkable. Um the the ingenuity um this is something that dad didn't have a lot of, you know, how to fix stuff, but he figured it out. And um, so now I'm on that journey of, okay, how do you fix this? I you no know. Go- <laughs> Hello, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh <clears throat> um the 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 it, it is a it is a being self-sufficient. If you ever come to our house, as you know, Patrick, you go in there and you see the cold room and the cold room for the the the, the amount of canned goods and food that Connie has created sitting in that cold room is remarkable you know if the world is ever ending our community is going to be able to f- feed itself for a bloody month out of that house and um and and stuff like that is it, it, i was able to get the sparks out of it i was able to get i have so many great stories about dad and and uh, the impact that he had both positive and less than positive and because life is that way and um yeah it's it, it, you take what you can take out of the different situations that you have? And how do I mold that into something that fits my values and m- the life that I and Connie want to create? And I think that that's where a lot of that stuff kind of came from.
0: That's great. You know, the insights that Jack and, and I got to know Jack later in his life, but certainly he was, uh, the type of man he was, was, I always saw him as passionate, but quiet. He was Always complimentary. That's the side of him that I get Mm -hmm. to remember. And so I'm always, uh, I always reflect well on Jack. You know, the thing about this particular discussion and where the concept and the idea for this podcast came from was about really, I'm going to say, just common people who achieved some pretty extraordinary results. There's absolutely no doubt. Don, that you and Connie have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, and not just financially, which is the case, but also just who you're being in your life. Yet it isn't it isn't that you know that social media out there of you know look at me. planes and mm-hmm. fancy cars yes. and Lamborghinis, <laughs> and you know we brag about our tractors, but you know really the the sense of who you are and the commonality and without a lot of ego around it and yes you guys live a great life and and you're not for want of anything and you get to make some really cool choices in your life but at the end of the day what is really apparent is that back to the conversation of Jack and Ginger you know you were kind of a middle class family 100% at best you know that you stemmed from and you achieved some amazing results and along the way you've had to make some decisions and along the way you took and chose directions, and it was really about defining beyond what you were doing. And there was business, and there was investing in real estate, but also who you were choosing to be. Now you show up and appear, and and I know you to be quite confident as we, you know, sit stand here today, uh, recording this particular podcast. Actually, no, I feel incredibly vulnerable. Do frankly, you? okay, yeah. okay. This, this well, this so is really an interesting conversation. It is an interesting just, conversation yeah. because. Yeah you, there's, there's still a degree of confidence in that vulnerability Mm. in, in being vulnerable. But, you know, when you think back, was there, did you actually, do you think that you had to generate that confidence? You know, it's like that old case of fake it till you make it. How was your, you know, what was your thought process as you evolved and changed? Because you're making some big decisions, the numbers got bigger financially, the decisions got, you know, the I guess the impact or or the repercussions or the results of a bad decision, you know, what's the fallout If Mm. you know, the risks that you're taking. Did you ever get to a point, you know, where you were going, why am I doing this? What, you know, and you lose your confidence. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So how does that evolve for you? Is that really just the mindset that you set yourself up for that you engage in? How is it for you? Because like I say, when you look at as a young man that you really are, you've achieved some really really great things and i think you're just getting started to be honest with you and so how does that show up as confidence because i know one of the things that uh, i hear from people that i'm dealing with is they just don't have the confidence and they believe that's what's in their way and so is there any kind of guidance advice what what's your experience in that conversation
1: i don't want to i don't want to do things kind of okay and so which is a weakness because wh- if i want to try and start something new i don't want to do it anywhere near anybody and uh it t- took me i was i was fairly old i was like grade six before i could ride a bike mm. and um i don't know what that deal was all about but i would just crashing and i was terrible at it and um and and but i didn't ever want anybody to know that it was just it's interesting the vulnerability of that and um, the, uh, the speaking thing, I remember doing the curtain a few times, and um, and all all people would hear was this, right? The paper shaking, because I was losing my mind trying to deliver what I was trying to deliver, not as me, but as the person that I thought that me should be to be delivering the thing. So it's, it, I know it's a bizarre difference, but it's real. And And I said, I can't do this. I can't, going back to the values again, I can't have this kind of positive impact of changing the conversation if I can't even say the words with some semblance of believability. And um, because I knew my facts were right and I knew my extrapolation was all starting to work and I knew that this would lead to that and that would lead to that within this economic world, but I couldn't articulate it. So... All I did is I found somebody who was an amazing uh, uh, coach and we would spend once every week, week and a half for two hours out in our backfield. He would be down 25, 30 yards down the field. I would be at another end and he'd say, okay, deliver your stuff. No mic, no nothing. And immediately you had to learn how to present and you had to learn how to... Articulate, and he pushed me so hard. He he, frankly, changed my game, changed my life completely. His name is Jesse James. Um, look him up. J e s a i j a h y m e s. Yeah, it's an odd spell. Remarkable, remarkable human being. Now living in Costa Rica, and but he was up here, and 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 once again, that was that thing. Is that if I can't fulfill these values, how can I fulfill these values? Uh, how, what do i have to do so completely forgetting the question at this point Sorry. It's about confidence it's okay, good. okay okay good, 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 good. and uh so so that gave me the confidence to be able to go up and and do that and then and then live tv started to phone i'm going live tv are you kidding me what if i say something that's wrong there's, there's that judgment thing right and um which also comes from parents um that uh, what if i say things that are wrong or what if i Freeze, or what if I this, or what? I I, I was focusing on the it, it, that, that leads me to something on the confidence thing. I'm going to remember. Um, I was listening to a, a presenter recently about risk. So he's talking about risk and managing risk. Because I'm a mis- risk risk mitigator. I like to look at both sides and how do I eliminate as much of the, the the risk as possible. And that's in real estate business, life, everything. And he goes, so who here thinks that risk is bad? And, you know, half the room puts their hand up. The other half of the room knows that it's a trick question, so they don't put their hand up, but they knew they think (laughs) it's all bad, right? Or they wouldn't be there. And he goes, but what what about the risks of a big positive? Risk is a big negative or a big positive? You know, the risk of this occurring that's going to take your business to a whole different level is just as strong as the risk of this is going down. So you start to reframe the word risk. So now when I'm as I'm doing the live radio and the live TVs and all these kind of interviews, I'm going, oh, well, the risk, the risk of this being awesome is going to be good. What do I have to do? You know, when you're mitigating risk, you do certain steps, right? You, you buy insurance, you do all your stuff, whatever that is. You also, when you have a, a risk that it's something's going to be great, you have your list of things to help propel it to be great. Um, and until you grasp it, there are two different things and the two different lists and you can actually influence something. The risk of it being great, um, then then you're always focusing on the negative, as I was back then. Oh my goodness, what if people judge me on TV? And what if they? I don't care. You can't care anymore because just look at the comments on any news article. Uh, or, so would
0: you say your your confidence lives in the fact that you're you know you've put it out there enough times to realize that the whole world doesn't come to an end? It's one of those things that you have to stretch. You know, we we talk about mm. that a lot. You know, you. You have to be prepared to stretch and get uncomfortable in order to say, okay, you know, I'm still alive. I'm still, you know, the, the world didn't What end. are the three things that <laughs> survived today? I would be yeah. grateful for these things. Yeah. So would you would you find for yourself that a lot of the confidence just comes from being able to stretch and put it out there? Failing, maybe occasionally being up on Absolutely. stage and going, that was a bad presentation. I didn't do I that one that. well. Yeah. We, we've never had any of those. I know, <laughs> yeah. I know you haven't. Maybe yeah. I, uh-huh. I might have. But the, the confidence comes, would you agree, for you from just being willing to reframe risk, understand what's behind it for you. That's an important yep. one. Yep. And then actually going forward anyways, and then realizing that, yes, I can pull this off. Is it something, or are you really generating it every time? I I have habits. Um, Before an event, there are 12 songs that
1: play and they're wires, they're songs that, that actually, because I've done it enough times and people get sick and tired of it, and I frankly don't care, because in order for me to have the impact and to have the performance, these 12 songs that play Actually, my body responds to them and it gets to, oh, we're only a couple songs away. We have to be prepared and ready. Same 12 songs if I'm driving into a TV studio. Same, I, I listened to four of them before this podcast on my way here. Um, it, 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 what it does is it becomes a, not a, it's not a superstition at all. What it is, it's visually I can feel myself coming alive and coming into that, into that space of not being the writer. And, and sitting down and quietly and typing stuff and talking quietly. And, and if I'm talking quietly while I'm typing, that's getting really weird because I'm answering myself now. But, the, uh, uh, but, but then coming into a situation such as live TV where you have to be in the game and you don't know, I have to wire myself. I just kind of do, do, do. It's, it. There's no it's just all music. It's just different songs drive me a different way. Um, so that's provides me if I've got those tunes and I've got that stuff happening, that provides me a base from which to lean on, which provides me confidence. So when I go in, I'm ready and I know my body's ready and my brain is my brain is ready, even if it's six twenty five in the morning in Toronto, which is three twenty five here. I'm ready because I've done those things. So that that really helps with the confidence. Also, how do you say this without sounding stupid, but uh, being Right. Seeing seeing the results of your analysis and your extrapolation actually coming true over and over and over and over again um, provides you a level of confidence. Not a, not an arrogance, look at me, I'm always right, dude. Um, but but a, a level so that I know that if I do these things and I study this stuff, this is going to be an outcome. And that outcome has a 95% chance of being right. I go, that's a pretty good place to be in, in, a, in a confidence space. And I have enough people around me who I trust wholly to go smack me upside the head if, if they think that I'm going off on a, on a wrong tangent or a, something that's not appropriate. And so having that trusted circle of people going, hey, we got to go have a sushi dinner. I gotta have a chat with you about this or this or this. It's so good. It provides me the confidence that I can just kind of keep going away and keep doing the thing. And it's based on the values. I know I am keep going back to the values and I keep going back to this wires to this. I've wired my brain this way. Okay. If I need to program, it's all incredibly mindful. When it goes back to that too, the things that I do are very mindful. And then we'll go do some crazy stuff. Like we'll drive for two days to Las Vegas, not fly, drive. To see one concert, because it's one concert that's not going to be anywhere else. And uh so we, we, we'll drive there, and then we'll drive home for two days. And so that's completely off of the the chessboard map. So, once again, balance is there's these things that you can control, and then there's these wild cards that you can't control, and then you can throw wild cards in, if you have a base from which to work. But if you feel like you're everything's constantly shifting, and the sand is shifting, and you feel like you're getting smacked upside the head enough times that you're just going, oh my goodness, the world is just, I'm just losing myself in this world. It's time to step back and go, okay, what am I creating here? How am I creating all of this? And what I've decided because of the anxiety and all that kind of stuff is these little habits build a foundation from which to work and allows my creativity to come out, allows me to be, be a bit nutsy sometimes. What's the word you use? Quirky. Quirky is that word. Yes. That's so polite. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. He doesn't use that word when the <laughs> mic's off, by the way. I know that pff, the worst thing that happens, boom, I land back on my foundation and I can then move back up from that.
0: So what you know, we talked about earlier, you know, we talked about the how we surround ourselves. So mm-hmm. I look at the friends and the relationships I have, and I believe that's a mirror of who I'm being. So I'm I'm always I'm kind of on a watch for that. And you know, it's not a loose sleep over it. But when it comes to confidence, would you agree, and it may, it may be a rhetorical question for you, but I, I would like to shine a light on the fact that when you're feeling maybe a lack of confidence or mm-hmm. uncertain, who you surround yourself with and who Huge. you have in your life is a pretty significant part. And we see that a lot Huge. in terms of the community and and what people can get grounded in when they come into the community at Rain. But for you, uh, is it mostly primarily your just the friends and family that you have around you that you know that you can count on to you know tell you what the way they see it and not be the naysayers in your life? Do you, is is that how does that work for you? The family and friends, mostly friends,
1: um, that I that I choose to include in the decision making process, for instance, um, are spectacular. I have friends from all spectrums of life like, like the media, like the, everything else that I study, I love love all spectrums of life so that I can gravitate, but it's, but no matter, no matter what, I'm always 100% responsible at the end of the day. And I have to make the, I have to make the call, but if I'm feeling a little bit beat, beat up, there is nothing better than just going and grabbing a Starbucks with somebody and just talking through somebody who you trust, who is maybe not been exactly where you are or where you've where you're going or where you've been or what the problem is, but has had enough life experience and can say, and frankly, one of the best things that a friend can say is I have no clue, dude. I have no clue because I don't, I I totally don't get it. Instead of those people who will always make up an answer to a question that you give them, sometimes you give a question to somebody, they don't have an answer. And I would prefer someone to say, listen, I don't know, but what if we thought about this, 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 and this, Instead of making up, you know, well, well, you you should really do. And if you're vulnerable in that moment, because that's why you're generally sharing, you go, oh, OK, I'll go try that. And it, it's based in no sense of reality other than you asked a question. So they responded with an answer. So I find that you you I, I know who to rely on in my world to bounce things off of. If I'm feeling a little bit anxious, even a couple of texts back and forth. Um with, with some some very, very specifically close friends make such a difference. And because, you know what it is, it's that foundation again. I think it's that, okay, here I go. It's, it's feeling a little bit off, but I'm going up above this foundation. And and even the texts or the conversations that we have, um, I, I know that there's a foundation to fall back to. It, I'm never going to negative, negative below zero because I've got this, this support network that I'm, blessed to blessed to have but i also like to play that role for a lot
0: of people And you do it well
1: and and i hope so yeah um, you sure do yeah.
0: i'm you know so as we're you know we could go on forever around this conversation we could have another episode we're, later we're, on we're going to have another episode but at, i want a couple things that i want to kind of touch on is that as we wind this down you know first and foremost uh, it was for me an opportunity for people to see and get to know don campbell beyond that public persona that you have in in many in many ways and many realms. Thank you for making me uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh and I'm so happy to have had you as my first guest on the show, as a good friend and and somebody who's made such a, a big difference in my life. I'm really really honored to have that. Now, the question I want to kind of wrap things down is just to kind of tie a bow around a couple things. First off, what would there be one, two, three words of advice or comments that you would make to somebody in the, in their pursuit of the everyday millionaire milestone. And is there something that you would share one thing or two or three things that you would share? Patience, the most mistakes and the higher risk
1: is in that following something that's flashy and seems to be exciting and it's the new thing. And you know, those types of things. I th- I find people get themselves in real trouble on that kind of thing. And I get it. It's totally, wow, flashing lights. This is awesome. I'm going to go over here. I'm, I'm, a, I'm like a crow, right? And uh, having patience and sticking with something that obviously is going to continue to get you towards where you're going to be. But Don, I'm 60. I don't have time. Dude, you got 40 years. Like you, you got time. Just calm down. Just so it's number two is just breathe find time. And, and I'm not being facetious. I, I actually mean just breathe. Find time to sit and breathe. That's it. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to meditate if that weirds you out or you don't have to do anything. Say you go to church even, whatever. It doesn't matter. Sit during that period of time and consciously breathe. Just big breaths in, big breaths out. Probably don't make the noises if you're sitting in church because that's really awkward. But just be. And it's a philosophy um, that I've I've talked about at Rain as well is you have being days and doing days. Being days are spectacular. Those are days where you at the end of the day, you go, man, that was good. But you can also feel good during the doing days if you reframe it that the more I get done Thursday, the more I can just be on Friday. And so you start to reframe. You don't have to be busy all the time, even though it feels it. Number three is, I think you opened with it. And that is real estate is supposed to fund your life, not be your life. And and unfortunately, with all of the TV shows and all of the stuff and all of the conversation about housing on every newspaper, because they they seem to have discovered housing. I don't know if you noticed that in the last two years, that it seems like it can just become All encompassing, it's all you ever think about. If your value is, I want to be completely consumed by real estate, then that's fine. But if your value is, I want to spend more time with my family and you don't, or I want to stop, I got to get healthier, but you keep smoking and you keep eating chips. I love chips. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So define your values and allow real estate and everything else in your life to go towards that value and base it on that value. Choose your time. Dan Sullivan taught me pre-book your free time and your focus time, so you 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 can sit and write. Turn off your damn uh, alerts on your Outlook and on your on your computer, because you can't you cannot be great if every thirty four seconds bleep something pops up in the bottom right hand corner of your screen because it just distracts your brain from getting into the flow. Find ways to get flow have gratitude every night, just do it for 30 nights, just for me, just what am I, what what are the three things today that I'm grateful for that are really positive or whatever, just do it for 30 days and just see how you feel at the end and see how you're looking around the world differently, just in 30 days, quite remarkable, whoever's in your life, make sure they're there on purpose, not out of habit, it's up to you, even family members, frankly, you can choose and Work on the relationships because the relationships are so important. And at the end of the day, you have values, you have relationships, you have some assets to work with. If you put those three together and you really focus on them and
0: you have the patience to make it let it happen, it can happen. This last little bit of your conversation, you inspired about 14 questions that I wanted to ask you, but I'm going to leave them to the next podcast. And what are you grateful for today? I am
1: grateful that my tractor has a cab on it because it's <laughs> snowing like crazy. I am incredibly grateful for my uh, the relationship that I have with my wife. Um, we had another wonderful conversation today and this week has been remarkable. Um, I am grateful for how many people have bought my book to support Habitat for Humanity and having $1.25 million raised for that amazing charity when our goal was 20 grand <laughs> oops yeah sort kind of missed that target <laughs> and i'm grateful for all the people that are around me and the community in which we are all placed
0: that's terrific and i'm grateful that you are here today thank you very much for what you've shared with us uh i think that uh, there's lots of lessons in the conversations that we had and uh, appreciate your time and your energy thanks very much Don. my pleasure ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening if you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That's CEO at R-E-I-N Canada dot com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time... Patrick out.